I don't know, man. I to me, whatever medium you're recording in, you have to find the place where you start to break the machine a little bit. It's like when something gets overdriven or something goes wrong in the in the synthesizer, something is wrong with the guitar, and you kind of push it to a point where it starts to break up or it starts to break, and it's a kind of a different point with every type of music. But I feel like on that first record, it was like everything was in the red, everything was emotionally in the red. Um, yeah, we're just trying to make music that if we're because we were playing a hundred shows in these little bars, and I didn't want I didn't want people talking at the bar when we're playing, you know, like. If we were fucking playing, like, I wanted people to be aware that we were playing, you know, like, in the back of the room, out in the street, you know. So I just didn't want to, like, make background music. So I think that part that's part of, like, vocally, the first record is really just, like, I was essentially just breaking my voice all day, you know, taking my voice. How can I make it, break it, basically? <laughs> hey it's brandon and i'm david welcome to late to the party a podcast where we investigate and break down the 1001 albums you must hear before you die in 2016 <laughs> edition edited by robert dimery you're so lucky you get to listen to two good-looking hipsters deny that they're hipsters then talk about arcade fire for an hour it's typical <laughs> every week or so we'll listen to an album so. the list and break down why it's worth a listen purchase or pass this week we're talking about number 953 arcade fires funeral well, hello david records hello brandon murray how are you well i'm sitting in the sunroom right now and it's a little rough just because my windows are open and my uh my sinuses are being attacked <clears throat> St. Louis doesn't like my my sinus system. Oh, no, no, it's terrible. It's terrible for allergies. Um, uh, my windows are closed for that very reason. Also, I'm <laughs> cold, so uh, you know, fair. It's yeah. I got. Well, we both got hoodies on. This is pretty. Yeah, we're well. It's fall weather, you know. Michigan football next Saturday. I'm ready to go. I'm so excited. I don't know. I think sports are gone from my life now. I think like once the live sports are it just feels like a fake season for all sports that I <laughs> yeah. just I'm just like I don't need to pay attention to any of it right now like you won you won the Stanley Cup good for you no one like it's an asterisk I, I didn't even know it was happening right exactly because no I one mean really that's yeah. it just feels it's all a pageant I they guess. pipe in music not music they pipe in fan noise in yeah. college football games and it just even though they're actually fans in the stands it's like Truman Show kind of stuff. Like, it's just like a... Yeah, it's a little creepy. It's a little creepy. Well, what's well, new in your world? Uh, let's see. It is um, halloween time. So, you know. True. Been, been having that. Um, those themes have been around in my world as much as possible. Trying to watch some spooky movies. Get some pumpkins. Put up some gourd decorations. <laughs> <laughs> gourd. Gordle. <laughs> Hey, t- should you tell the people what we were uh, safely socially distanced and watching uh, last weekend? Oh, yeah. We watched uh, two fantastic movies from the same series, uh, 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 Final Destination 1 and 2. <laughs> 1 and 2. Which those movies are – I haven't seen I, – I I've only seen one. I saw that when I was like 15. 
never again but um they're so fun it must be such a fun the whole time i was watching it because i'm this is it's hard for me to enjoy things without ruining them at the same time for myself but i was like <laughs> man writing you for should this really movie? unpack that with, <laughs> with a professional <laughs> uh isn't that what english teachers do don't we just like oh, I guess. simultaneously inspire yet ruin things for students therapists um, also do that right yeah we but, yeah that. You were saying um, about Final Destination. That they're like these, um, like it must be so fun in a writer's room. I'm assuming there's a writer's room for this where they like get together. Some, it's a room of one, I think. Okay, well. Occupancy of one. They just make Rube's Goldberg devices to kill people, which is uh-huh. just so fun. Like every little of like a wind, wind comes through the door that blows over the rake that hits the box of salt that, you know, <laughs> Hey, patterns sell, you know? It's, I love it. It's, I watch those sequences all the time. Yeah, uh, just so churn cool. them out. So They're, we had a really they're rebooting Scream, you know? With the same characters, which uh-huh. I'm here for uh, because I love those movies. I'm surprised they're still here. <laughs> what else are they making? That was dark. <laughs> what else are they making? That's true. Uh, how what about else you? Oh, uh, well, so I started reading a new book, uh, incidentally, about Radiohead's Kid A. It's called Perfect. This Is Not Happening by Stephen Hayden, I think it is. If I got that wrong, I apologize. But uh, so the experience has been both edifying and disheartening. Edifying in the, our analysis of Kid A from episode one and its genesis was spot on, seriously. But it's disheartening in the fact that nice. every terrifying- right, aspect, back for us. Well, yeah, right? But like every po- prospect that York was previewing and sort of freaked out about in that, during that album or that process, all those digital anxieties, that came with you know the sort of collective distancing and alienation all that stuff came true and that's right. that's a truth that the book drives home early and so often so it's not exactly like pleasant bedtime reading but it's it's been interesting to sort of comb through what we we thought to be true and have that confirmed by my reading but on a brighter side of the world there's a new baby in the family oh excellent congratulations yeah well thank it's not my baby but it's a nephew. Uh, Braden is is totally obsessed, and and he kind of should be because that baby is adorable. Well, that's amazing. Yeah, and his mom and dad are crushing it. It's it's good times. I I love babies too. <laughs> we both are obsessed. <laughs> and being uncles, you can just like, um, you know, it's it's like yes. you, you get to just love and then remove yourself from any real responsibility. Yeah, you just shower them with gifts and yeah. love and attention and then just bounce. It's great. Nice. <laughs> I love it. So uh, what have you been listening to? Oh, God, so much Stevie Wonder. Really? I have no idea how it happened. I really don't. And it's not even like the albums either. I, it's like his definitive collection on Spotify. I mean, it was like an early 90s release of Greatest Hits or something. Uh, it's like you start out in 1966 and you end up somewhere in the 90s and it's good times. Oh. You know, that's what I've been listening to. Do you, cool. do you know the song, Do I Do? No. Well, it's not by name. Okay, so it's from his 1982 album that's called Original Musicarium, which, by the way, is a badass name for an album. It's like, I'm Stevie Wonder. I'm going to call it whatever the fuck I want to call it. But on that song, like around the middle of the song, he casually introduces Dizzy Gillespie, who is, you know, legendary trumpet mm-hmm. player Dizzy Gillespie. And then he plays for like a minute and a half. So like, listen to this. There's just a little taste of it. Oh, 
I mean, like, how good does that sound? It's, David, it's really good. You should listen to it over and over. Sweet. And over. All right. So I've been listening to a lot of Stevie Wonder. How about you? Um, I haven't listened to as much music uh, as I would have liked in the past week. But um, besides listening to this, um, the album we're about to, to discuss, I, I went along the same lines of that time period in my life, what, what albums I was listening to. Um, mm. oh, yeah. And uh this one was from well my girlfriend at the time which is now you know she's now my wife so she was she was a really good influence you have to stop saying that as if she's like a different person no but like she i I wasn't married back when i listened to this i don't know like like people that's a that's a phrase people use at the time my girlfriend at the time now my wife i don't know anyway yeah all right um is bright eyes have you listened have you ever been into bright eyes uh yeah what's wide awake morning what's the name of that album so there's that one but the one that i've been listening to is lifted or the story is in the soil keep your ear to the ground i don't know that one is you know and i had this like love hate with with this band because it's like you know so much pretension for Mm -hmm. someone that is 17 uh when they were singing writing and producing this but also i just like really kind of love it and there's so many good memories from this from this album and so many i mean i wouldn't say hits but because there really isn't any hits from this very indie <laughs> yeah um i don't think Brett is just hits no they don't do hits even he's back though i know they're back recently um but he anyway it's just an it's a nice it's a very much like a of that time kind of indie lo-fi um bordering on pretentious this was like a band you said you loved i think if you wanted to sound like you even if you music. hadn't listened to them before sure <clears throat> um but yeah so that's i've been i've been that's the vibe i've been hitting after listening oh, to nice. funeral like a hundred times yeah i listened to funeral so many times more times i think certainly than speaker box love below because i listened i got through that album and then i put it away uh, but I've been, <laughs> I've been listening to Funeral on the way to work, and I walked the dog for the first time in quite some time, and I listened to it at night. That was that was nice. But I, I wanted to say, I also started listening to, just before you and I got on this Zoom, Matt Berninger's solo album. Oh, yeah. Serpentine uh-huh. Prison, because, because we talked about it on mm-hmm. the last episode. It isn't bad. You know, I, I was more than or less than ambivalent. I, I was staunchly sure. against listening to it. But mm. I guess I shouldn't be surprised that it's not bad because he surrounded himself with a whole lot of talent. So it's produced by Booker T. Jones of Booker T. and the MGs, right? Of Green Onions fame. We know that song. Uh Okay, good. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, And it's got Gail Ann Dorsey, who sang on The National's last album, but she's more famously known for being David Bowie's primary bass player for the last 20 years of his career. Live and uh, in studio, she was the bass player. She's got some serious bass chops, and her voice is probably better than her bass playing, which is incredible. Huh? So early right. on, it's it's not bad. It sounds like a Nationals album. And, uh, it sounds like a The National album, but it's good. So, I mean, as a devout anti-nationalist. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm more I, disturbed at how pleased you were by that joke. That, that came, that was in the moment, too, that I made that. Um, so, yes, as that person. Anyway, uh, I, would I, do you think I'd even like this album? I think that sometime soon you and I are going to do a little dance where we swap albums that neither one of us wants to listen to. <laughs> and that won't be the one that I give you. <laughs> I'll give you something a bit more properly, the national. 
Gotcha. And we'll start there and, and see if that we could can be grow. A, we can grow from it. All right. I'm looking forward <laughs> to that. Uh, so maybe we should, should we get to the reason why everyone's here? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So folks, we're going to take a little break. And when we come back, David's going to teach us everything we need to know about our cave fire. <laughs> Stick with us here. Thank you. Folks, uh, that track you just heard there was Reflector, the lead single from Arcade Fire's 2013 double album, which we talked about last episode. Reflector. You might have noticed, uh, you might have recognized the vocal there in the bridge. That was David Bowie singing on that track. We'll talk a bit more about David Bowie's connection to the band and how they collaborated later on. But for now, David, we promised the folks that you'd tell them a little bit about Arcade Fire. So maybe you should give us a little history lesson, huh? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, it's going to be, oh, it's going to be quick and dirty, but I'm going to give you a, and I might even lie a couple of times, but who knows? It'll be entertaining. <laughs> Sounds so, like, never mind. I know. <laughs> uh, so, you know, this, this band has, uh, I, I guess you could say like when it started four major members, um, two of them being Will and Wynn, uh, Butler, which Wynn, you know, is short for what name? Do you know? I don't know. Edwin. Really? Yeah. Okay, so full disclosure, I know very little about the background of the band, which is why David's taken this one. I did not know that that was, his, that's a great name. I know. I, I was like, I, I respect it better than Ed, right? Even though it's better than Ed. I wonder if there's any other better name. Better than Dead. We could probably muse for this for 20 minutes about a name where you take the, the second half as your nickname instead of the first half, the traditionally. Uh, I guess Liam is also William, but the last half, right? Yeah, for whom? Neeson. Liam, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, back to the... <laughs> so, so uh, the, the brother... Oh, hey, look, Braden's leaving. Bye, Braden. <laughs> the brothers Butler, they, they moved around a lot when they were kids from uh, California to, to Texas, to, and they went to a prep school in Boston, and um, you know, they met... I thought they're, they were Canadian. I, that's a good, they, they aren't. They're actually American by birth and for most of their life. And then they moved to Montreal where the band kind of officially formed. Oh. Um, they thought Montreal was a good place because um, Canada is awesome and beautiful and felt they felt that would be a really good place to do their musical career, I guess. I don't, I don't know. It worked out. So yeah, is, absolutely. It's kind of, it's kind of also people don't do that usually go from Montreal to America. Right. And we had Johnny Mitchell Canadian coming to, to America and being successful, but they went the reverse route, which is just indicative of everything that this band seems to be doing that oh. goes against their six, why they're successful. I mean, this is an independent band that acts like a major label act. Uh, they're continually nominated to for and or win album of the year, album of the year, not like, indie album of like album alternative album yeah yeah, it's like it's up there and then they chart in the top five around the the entire world like they're worldwide known right yeah Um, they play arenas right they but that's indie bands don't do that you play arenas they work with flip and bono and then they had they even had they're one of they're an indie rock band that had their own nbc special Um, that's true right when uh when reflector came out yeah it was amazing 
it, they don't, they're not acting like they're supposed to be acting, right? They had, uh, they had like an interactive website for, was it Reflector? Or no, it was for suburbs, right? Where you could type in your address and then it, on Google Maps yeah. and it turns your whole uh, house into a music video. Um, like this is stuff that they're, they're acting so against type. True. Um, I mean, they made their, they made funeral for $10,000 and this is insane in like a week. So I yeah, guess like a week and a half, 10 days is what they I, had. I, I guess really this is, from what I can gather, I guess they just have a really good manager that knows how to promote <laughs> them, right? And I guess so. I, I get the sense that the Butler brothers uh, and Regine, that they're such strong personalities that much of what they achieve is done by matching artistic vision to just sheer drive and force yeah. of will. I mean, it feels like... <clears throat> Like whatever, it's like Billy Bean in the two thousand three Oakland A's. Hey, anyone? Moneyball. No? Yeah, exactly. It's like that. It's like they are finding all the things that shouldn't be make typically make a band successful this this huge, um, but because they're strategically choosing things, it's all it's all coming right, it's together choice. and working. Right, they're um, making good choices. So it everything seems like now the, aside, right? It seems like the 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 boys Butler were really good with. Like they played guitar and they could write, but Regine seems to be able to play, I don't know, everything. Everything. Including like make believe instruments like the hurdy gurdy. <laughs> Which she also you know, she can also sing. Yeah, she can, but she can write. Even, she's she's not even the lead singer. She's just like, oh yeah, I, I play this I instrument. Help you with the hurdy the hurdy gurdy. And which is like a I mean I don't know what it is. What is that? Like a, it's like an accordion, dulcimer, jack in a box combination. It's like a no camera sense. phone. It's like a camera taped to a phone. So, <laughs> um, they so they made this e this EP uh, before they came out with the funeral, which has an early version of No Cars Go. That's like a neon Bible hit. Oh, that's a great like song. An album. Uh, and then they signed with Merge Records, which is an independent label. It's not a big label, right? Um, and they put this this album together in about a week or so. They like they recorded some of it at like their apartment. Uh, because they, and they didn't, have, they produced it themselves. They needed to save money. This is ten grand. This is it. Uh, and then, but like during all of this, they mm -hmm. lost four family members. Yeah, right. So the title. Yeah, they had two aunts and a grandmother and a grandfather all died during the making of this, which is like holy cow. So, funeral is aptly, aptly named here. Um, and then, my final thing on the on it is is that they. They recorded it and debuted in the top 200, which was the Billboard top 200, which was the first big this deal. label at all. Um, they've never had that. They're not, that's not who they usually work with. Um, it's widely revered across the board, certified gold, produced five singles, and it only has nine tracks. So only four songs. <laughs> <laughs> More than half of the, of the album is, is considered a hit. Uh, and then the album is, has the second most appearances on end of the decade top 10 lists only behind guess which album out oh uh, i don't Brandon. want to no go ahead you know no I, no I don't you tell me just say it put me out of my Radio, misery radiohead's kid a that's right so uh and thinking about all this and thinking about like my college experience and this album being a big part of it um i, I had some questions for you brandon is yeah what do you got is this band one of the first truly great uh bands of the 21st century and then do you want me to double layer this or do you want to just take uh, that? Let's take, take that one first. Okay. That's a, that's a good question because have you read, I, I always forget when we, we talk about these New York bands and they're not a New York band, but turn of the century rock bands. Have you read Meet Me in the Bathroom? No, I haven't. 
Okay, but <clears throat> so they're mentioned sporadically throughout as one of the up and coming important bands around 2000, 2001. And it seems to me that intentionally or not, that they've taken up the, the sort of the rock band mantle. Does that, does that make sense? I think that's a sort of larger than life career rock band that makes important albums. Mm-hmm. I think up until the point of Everything Now, which came out in, what was that, 2016, 2017? That's not a good album, by the way. It does not sound good at all to me. But up until then, Reflector was an event, right? Like NBC had a special just related to that album. Pitchfork loved Reflector in 2013. So at a certain point, we were thinking about Arcade Fire in terms of bands like Bruce Springsteen or the Rolling Stones or David Bowie, these large bands that matter to the world and genre of rock music. Uh, Not necessarily in in terms of sound, but in terms of their following and their critical and commercial success and the way they, they sort of buy into the myth of being a rock band. And that along with those strategic choices that you were talking about earlier, I think it's safe to say that they are. They've been one of the more important bands of the 20th, end of the 20th, beginning of the 21st century. You've got them, you've got Radiohead. And then it starts to, uh, you can think about bands like LCD Sound System, but they're even limited in their scope. Mm -hmm. Which they work with, do they not? Do they work with? James Murphy produces Reflector in 2013. Wow. Right. Uh, They're friends. It was at Richard Richard Perry, Richard Wright Perry, what's his name? Richard Reed Perry, sorry. He friends with the National, by the way. Uh, but RK Fire, they also he they've done collaborations with Neil Young. They've they've played backup band to David Bowie. They seem to be very much a part of the fabric of rock music, even if their latest effort wasn't wasn't so great. I think that answers your question, right? Yes, they yeah. are they are very yeah, much cool. one of the more important bands of the twenty first century. So what is this is a this was like a um... Well, I guess what is happening? This is post 9-11 America, right? This is like, as we're invading, I mean, this is not an American <laughs> album or band, but I do think right. that they are influenced heavily by their upbringing. Obviously, this is a very much a coming of age. And I think that they're constantly thinking about America from as an outsider, you know, outsider's perspective. Sure. And, and 9-11 obviously affected the world more than just America. So, um, but what is like this millennial state of mind that's happening well, 2004 that that is that this seems to be like like why this got so much traction and became so popular and so many people felt a connection to sure well i think if we can if we can pull back the microscope a bit from the u.s or the the america the post 9-11 version of america and we can pull back and just look at the global society post 2000 we were talking at the risk of being self-referential about Radiohead mm-hmm. and how Kid A is just on the cusp of, it's recorded before and produced after 2000 and it's got all these anxieties about what's, what's looming on the horizon and whatever is on the horizon doesn't look good, right? So funeral places us squarely on the other side of that particular horizon and things don't look great. So I, I think we can go back to the title, right? Yes, there were deaths in the families of several family members and it's sort of unusual to confront tragedy in such, such a direct way in terms of art. It almost makes me think of Eric Clapton's work just after his son dies. But, sure. but the title works here, I think, right? In terms of what we're seeing on the other side of the horizon. The music, which is often sort of mournful, it still mixes in with that melancholy, the sense of optimism. There's a little bit of hope mirroring what I would imagine 
what most people felt like at the turn of the century, right? That there's a, there's a deep well of melancholy and some shimmering sense of hope. I mean, after all, this album does come out a year after Speaker Box and Love Below. So, you know, we've had to deal with that fucking album for a whole year. <laughs> but, but if we really want to do a close reading of the title, we might also posit outside of the personal connection to mourning that the band has, that the album references a more, a more figurative funeral. Right, like the new century promised a great deal of things, flying cars and global communities and better albums from Prince, but it didn't really deliver on that. You know, <laughs> like it's. I love. I I will never get sick of people being flying cars about flying cars. Yeah. I I never get sick of that. It's like if you're looking for the great disappointment of the new century, it's that we don't already have flying cars. No promise, us. <laughs> it's but, like no one, no one, can, no one thinks about like how absolutely terrible that idea is and how impractical people can't, even, people can't even drive a flipping golf cart without getting drunk and wrecking it and killing people that is correct why should we be giving them the ability to fly like no they should be Great. like thanking us for not even though <laughs> so <laughs> if you're to get back to that original question if you're looking for a snapshot post 2000 of not just what america feels or looks like but just what people who are in their early 20s look or feel like when they're staring at the rest of their adult life I think it looks a whole lot like funeral. There's, there's angst, there's rage, there's a sense of wonder at what could possibly be. And also this, this, this looming sense of dread that maybe all of that is just, that's, that's hogwash anyway, and maybe nothing good is going to happen. Which, which it feels like there are a lot of elements here of what a, <clears throat> an emo band would in, incorporate right it's, yeah it's, it's, it's this like it's like the smiths for the early 2000s sure but emo i feel like even at the time too like it's hard to take seriously right uh even by the name itself right like they're gonna try to make emotional emo so it's not you know it's like and like it, being emotional is bad and right we're gonna you know we have to dress it up and make it basically a cliche teenager um but this again doesn't operate the way that you're that I feel like it's supposed to like right <laughs> that we're expecting it to come out and be like a very much of that moment of your childhood and then forgettable well um, I think to to add on to that I think that it's it sounds a whole like what Pitchfork had to say about the album when they reviewed it in in the early 2000s and they so much as said I'm paraphrasing here that funeral legitimizes the return of the emotional album that because of the marriage of technique and passion and awe and wonder that they have, they're able to present a, a palatable version of an emotional album that is not sort of ridden with teenage angst. It's, it's a more mature emotional album that, that makes itself heard. And why do you think they're able to do that? I mean, I have some, I, I think leaving America and living in Montreal is a big part of Outsider it. Outsider perspective. And I, and I, I'm asking this question about, I asked you this question about him answering it myself, um, sure, so, but also uh, I, they, they have, they have um, like Regine's family is, you know, refugees from Haiti. Right. And I think that like that is a unique perspective too, that they're at it. They, they even have a whole song specifically about it. Mm -hmm. um, but I think um, that, what was I going to say? Oh, they also have like, pedigree like it's like like yeah they they, they are descendants <laughs> from musical greats right? right i think that maybe they have the know-how a little more than um, yeah and i 
I th- we were talking about this before we we started recording a sort of you know pre-show warm-up and I was mentioning how my favorite podcast at the moment continues to be Broken Record with with Rick Rubin I think what we're talking about fits in nicely here so he was interviewing Ben Mott Tench II which is just one of the bad most badass names I've ever heard who's been the piano player for Tom Petty since you know he was 18 years old he's been playing he played in that band for 50 plus years but Rick Rubin, near the end of the episode, says Ben Mott, because he's a, he's a virtuoso player, he's been a session player for all these people. He says, when you're playing, are you thinking about what you're doing or are you just, are your fingers going where they need to go? And he says, uh, typically they're just going where they need to go because I'm trying to, well, here, listen to this actually. Some songs when I'm playing organ, I'm trying to pull something out of the sky. I know there's a shimmer that can go around the song that I can accomplish with the Hammond, but I kind of have to hold on to the drawbars and slowly pull them in and out and kind of hold on for dear life and almost pray for that right shimmer to come through me. Yeah, so, so much of it is out of our control. It's another thing that I think um, most people listening don't might not understand that it really is a magic process that happens. It's a magic process. The thing about the thing about it is you need to practice, or if you don't practice, you need to know that you can play and get across what is in your head and heart. And that's what the technique is for. The technique is so that you can express the magic when it comes through. So I love the way he talks there about the marriage between talent, right, pedigree, what you describe as pedigree, and hard work. I think to, to more directly answer your question via Binmot, it's a combination of the pedigree they have as, as musicians and sort of, and the wonder they have as, as people. They're, they're genuinely interested in such various perspectives of what it means to be that age or in that place or experiencing those particular post 2000 emotions. And they're really good musicians. So you put those things together and they're going to achieve an album that most people think is one of the best albums that's been produced since 2000, right? I think that's what allows them to do it. It's that consideration of wonder and also consideration of technique and, yeah. and grinding. Like 10 days to make an album with $10,000. You can have $1,000 a day and then we're done. Like that is ridiculous. That is ridiculous. It is, it's not like the, you know. That's like, that's like Bruce Springsteen born to run level hard work, yeah. right? Now he had a major label and they were, he was racking up mid seventies level charges. But just working your ass off to yeah. achieve this thing and, and making, it, making it go. Right. I love it. Um, yeah, me too. So should we take a break before we get into I mean, I feel like this is a good setup for our yeah, like, next let's, segment. Let's take a break, a breather. I'm going to slug some more coffee because that seems like a great <laughs> idea right now. I'll we come back. What do, we, what do you do when we come back? Are we going to talk about Phase and Least Phase? Yeah. And, and then talk about you know, how this album is kind of a special album so far in terms of what the types of albums we've covered. Um, Sounds yeah, I'm going to go into my closet behind me and try to figure out, I think I still have the original, the, my original, like the CD of it somewhere. I have to you know, when we it. start doing uh, the, the video version of the podcast, we'll have you we'll have props. Yeah, when we, I'll, uh, yeah, okay, well, we'll be back. Welcome back, everybody. You just listened to a clip from Neighborhood Number 3, 
power out. Uh, and Brandon's just about to tell us why this album is unique to the albums we've talked about so far. So glad you asked, David. I am really, but no, it's our it's our first debut album, which is kind of cool. And I was I was thinking about this earlier this morning when I was prepping for the show, and I don't I don't think I often consider the significance of debut albums. I don't know if that's surprising to you or that, not. What do you mean? Like some people, I think I've I've had conversations with Mike about like why that album is so important. It's it's, it's a debut album, you know. It's it's the beginning of their career or the beginning of their their legacy, but. So I, I don't think about that usually. When I think about Funeral, I don't automatically think, oh, it's Arcade Fire's debut album. It's just, you know, it's like, it's an album, right? I, for some reason, debut hmm. doesn't often matter to me is what I'm trying to say. Hmm. I do it. find it interesting that some of my favorite albums by certain artists are, in fact, their debut albums, though. Which, is, which I think is also, especially in this type of band, it's like, these are the albums that people, I feel like, often are divisive where yeah, people think true. this is this is the album that are like this is before they were big and I knew them before you yeah. know they sold out and, and this is you know I knew I had this album before you know blah blah you don't know anything right. about they they sold out and became something entirely different than what I liked them for um <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> then, yeah. No, I was, there's some pretty friend. sorry we're, we're cutting over each other what do you got David uh, I was gonna say like our trend too so far is is this list seems to really honor risk taking and ch and uh changing like uh, your entire style or what the audience is expecting from you and here we are with our first day out debut album so it's really it changes our whole way of talking about an album because we have nothing to base it off of other than potentially influences or you know yeah no, that's, that's a really state. good point but i i was thinking some of some of my favorite albums have in fact been, like I was saying, like they've been these, these debut albums, some of the most brilliant albums. Like Patti Smith's Horses is her debut album. Yeah, I mean, like what? <laughs> I, I, did I tell you I saw her in, I saw her perform that album in its entirety in Chicago a couple of years ago. No. At like the, the, the Royale Theater maybe? The Regal Theater? Something like that. Something like that. The Riviera Theater. She was turning 70. It was her birthday concert. She performed courses in full it was like december 30th i think so we spent new years in chicago watching patty smith it was amazing she performed the song gloria like six times at the, the opening song right? that album but like, you've got patty smith's horses you've got Nora jones's uh come away with me which we talked about last episode mm -hmm. we playing this out folks uh let's up in one right yeah which has babe i'm gonna leave you I think Robert Plant's finest vocal performance ever. I dare you to find a better one. It's, it's but that was also an album that like no one got. Like I feel that's like true. That's true. they didn't like people went back after like Led Zeppelin four and were like, oh my god, <laughs> they have three albums. Four means it's the fourth album. Holy cow! But I, I guess we should we should reflect more on debut efforts because by nature they're they are kind of establishing expectations, right? They're they're telling us it's like the band's manifesto for their pursuits or like what their artistic or aesthetic values are it, or maybe i'm just full of shit you know but both can be true <laughs> it's both both, both both can be true folks what, so, what do you think david I, I you know i agree too and it's it's also i do i i'm late to the party right often and i find out about debut albums usually by second or third album right is when they get to me often okay um 
like the White Stripes, I didn't hear about until the second album for sure. Their third album, I don't think I heard about them. Oh, uh, interesting. They're one of my yeah. favorite bands, right? And also, did you watch that SNL performance of Jack White? I haven't watched it yet. I'm sorry. Amazing. I anyway, um, I guess they're banned in the in the purest form, right? It's yeah, it's I, like I, a debut novel, it. like a debut novel. Like they potentially have spent fifty years writing this novel, <laughs> and then after that, it's like, all right, now you have to write one a year. Turn it out. Two years, yeah, you have to yeah. turn it out. But like they got to spend, they got to like soak in that first effort, um, creating it, and it is the a culmination. Second album is, of, second album's the end Bible, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, that yeah, that's a pretty damn later. good album too. Yeah, and it was th- three years later, which I mean, I think we talked about this too. It was like newer bands, especially twenty first century bands, can kind of take their time putting out an album three years is okay yeah unless you're in hip-hop and you have to put out a track every month i don't Um, understand yeah it's that's a level of pressure i could not take should we get into fave i would love to do this you want you want to go first what is your fave track of this of this nine also brilliantly 48 minute album oh it's so neat oh my god (laughs) not this two and a half hour monstrosity it is 48 minutes albatross <laughs> is what that was my <laughs> god there's an sat word for you uh my favorite uh-huh. song is wake up it is uh so let here here's the clip that really does it for me let's just take a listen to that for a real sec my pitch rarely does a song reward a build-up at the beginning with such a payoff right i mean come on there's like it, this cascading yeah. undulating vocals at the top that it like actually makes good on the promise that that first couple seconds gives am i right I, you are absolutely right um is like, there's I, like I, this yeah go uh, there's a couple things well fuzzy thumpy bass line uh-huh these crunchy like clanging guitars and then this big ass chorus is it's instantly compelling. But what do you what do you think? <sighs> oh, about this song specifically yeah. or about my favorite? Okay. Um, but the song specifically, I think also it's um, it is all the things you've said. It's this open it's this opening guitar that I love. Yes. But also like this, I don't know how to describe it other than a choral sunrise oh <laughs> like yeah. it's like you know it's like this oh yeah okay like, so no yeah here, here listen to this so around the 30 second mark there's like this this single slash in electric guitar and it's like the sky just bursts open with with warmth and sunshine oh my god and i've heard it live before live it is just a killer in arenas it fills the entire arena it's it's like being bathed in sunshine which I, I want to talk about this song specifically too, which I th- I'm just like coming to this realization. Did you ever watch this video uh, interview with David Foster Wallace about the death of irony? And he talks about how so. we're, this is like early 2000s where he's like, irony is done. We've done it to death. And now we're in like a post ironic. Um, that sounds like something you know, I would say. World, exactly, right? Yeah. But the idea is that, like, we're we're as a society, we can't 
we're so jaded and irony is like Seinfeld and all that friend. Like we have just like, so like ironic has made us into these miserable people. Yeah. Um, but that we are, we need to have something um, genuine and positive and, and happy. And, and like, then I think you can, and they compare it to shows like um, parks and recreation where you watch it. Cause it's just like nice, yeah. you know, where it's like, everyone's kind of mean to each other, but it's a way where they all love each other still. Yeah. And I feel like this is like, kind of like that post ironic album it's like the it's like it's emo after emo it's post emo it is it's, it's not just like making you cry and be miserable and then leaving you to just listen to this and burn incense it's like <laughs> <laughs> it's it's like no but it's also really good to be sad yeah you embrace being sad and that that you can't be happy if you aren't sad well, and then it gives yeah. you both of those things and i think this is this is a piece that does that musically so very very well and it has a call to action built into the bones of the song, right? Like it's, <laughs> it's everything you just said and there's an actual immediate actionable item you can address, right? Like it's telling, it's, there's an imperative that's involved. And just for shits and giggles, it's got a jangling piano and these plaintive, plaintive vocals at the very end and more strings. Oh, it's so good. It's I love so that good. Song. I just, I, I, yeah. It wasn't even so hard. the only thing the only thing against it is that Bono used this as an intro song to his um, 2007 tour. I think oh, uh, Wait, he would. You, you he too would, did. Yes, they wow. would. They would play this song before they started, um, which you know. Mad respect. <laughs> That's what I have to say. What's your favorite song? Uh, it's this song. I oh, put this okay. as my song. I know. And, and I, that's when you said it, I was like, God, maybe I should read your notes. Maybe we should go strive for a variety, but this song is just too good. Uh, um, for all the reasons that we've said, obviously, but here's another part of the, this was like my original intro to the song is that I think this album cannot be, or should be treated as one piece of music. Um, and oh. I think that it actually begs you to do so with its, you know, neighborhood number one, number two, number three. It's sure. like a, um, it's like a series of paintings of like a variation on a theme, you know, like mm -hmm. it's like, this is, this is all, and the songs bleed into the next very Rock wonderfully. But I think that this is more of a, less of a favorite song kind of album and more of a favorite moment Moments. kind of album. And ah. I think that, and I think that you had some specifically of the song, like the moment, like I, I even had that written down. I said in 30 seconds in, I'm like, this is <laughs> yes. a moment, right? And then you have songs like uh, Une Année Sans Lumière, oh. you know? A Year Without Light, uh, yes. like right at 2.45, the change in, in tone. Like it goes from this sadness to this happiness, to this joy, but also it's huh? melancholic, but still, I don't know, it, it, it's these moments when you hear, I don't know, just kettles in the background being, you know, mm -hmm. like that. Hey, like that before, you go, before you go a little further, uh, when you're talking, what's the name of the song again? The French song? Une année sans lumière. Does, does anything about the guitar sound in that song remind you of the guitar playing of George Harrison? Uh, off the top of my head, no. Okay, well, stick around, all right? I got something for you. But go on, please. Talk to us about well, your moments. I, I think, and like another moment of um, In Neighborhood 3, Power Out, which is like three minutes in Ugh. he just starts to kind of lose his mind like he sings <laughs> yes. like he sings with like wild abandonment uh -huh. um it, and it, 
that can often come out like like a lot like it like I keep saying this this album keeps preventing itself from falling into the tropes of an emo indie hipstery type of thing to something that is it works it feels authentic he feels like he genuinely is experiencing these emotions in real time instead of faking them for performance purposes um I mean, maybe he is, but he's doing a really good job selling it. Uh, and then, um, yeah, I mean, like moments like that, I feel like these little moments, I'm like, I'm, I'm listening to this album, I'm like, I really love that moment. And it doesn't take away from the rest of the song. I'm saying it's the other, the whole song is not good. Mm -hmm. but just these little moments peppered throughout that I'm like, oh, what a nice touch. Like that yeah. really adds into my experience. Like these moments when you just feel like you want to stand up and, and, throw your hands in the air <laughs> all right you know <laughs> all right <laughs> sure you had me until whatever that was and you look um, so satisfied i'm happy for you I, thank you so much i appreciate that listeners uh, he is beaming right now <laughs> all right uh back to business what's your least fave kettles uh yes. neighborhood number four uh I think I I like I like it musically for the most part. I think it still fits and it works. And I, I think getting rid of it would be a mistake. But I think lyrically it takes me out of it. Yes. I think um, they're kind of these. Uh, I mean, they're kind of cheesy lyrics. Like it's like that whole uh, a watch pot never boils, and you can't take a you can't raise a baby on motor oil. I'm like, and okay, they repeat like, it so many times. It it feels like a. Um, like a middle schooler attempting poetry at that point. Yes. Uh, and there's so many other wonderful moments of songwriting here, but that, and, and it's not a one quiet song. So like, you know, some of his, some of his lyrics are inaudible, which is fine. So maybe they're really terrible throughout, but um, when it's not, I feel like they should be a little bit better than that. Um, yeah. Personally. And then also using kettles as part of the soundscape is nice, which I like, but then it also gets to be, anxiety inducing for me it's like it's like ringing telephones in the background which yeah, is like too much. someone someone just <laughs> just someone address up. that please <laughs> how about you what's your least fave uh that song is Jesus my least Christ. favorite <laughs> i couldn't help it it's one of it is one of the few tracks that bored me it was like a failed neil young moment Ooh. if that makes sense i uh, i was sort of i was initially intrigued by the picking pattern at the beginning i like uh, oh, i like this riff this sounds this is interesting to me but eventually it all sort of falls to meh for me. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't get around that song. And I tried a couple of times because if I did like that song and I don't like it, it's not, it's not just my least fave. I don't actually, I don't like it, uh, which is different, I think. Um, but if I could get my head around it, then it would be a perfect nine for me. I would love every song on the album. That one I don't like. Yeah. It's not enough for me to skip it, but it's enough for me to I chalk it up as you skip it. <laughs> Um, the wow, songs around was, it are so strong. Yeah. That was a very sufficient or efficient. Uh, <laughs> Some might say phase. sufficient. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so do you want to tack on our best time to listen to this? Sure, sure. Should I go first? Sure. If you say the same thing, I swear to God, I'm, I don't know. Well, I, don't, do I doubt that this is particular to me, I think. So I was, right. was going to yeah. say, and I, wrote, I took some notes on this. I, I hesitate to say any time is the best time to listen. But I, I want to, I really do. But that feels kind of lazy to me. 
So uh, I'll say day or night, day or night. Uh, I'll say uh, like walking or sitting or like standing or running. I, I bet you this is actually really good to run to. I bet you most Arcade yeah. Fire albums are, are good to run to. But and here's, the, here's the last bit that I wrote down. I think it's great for like a small gathering of, of hipsters, you know, like say six. Totally. I'm sure if you play this out loud, hipsters will come. Um, well, it's like a fall evening and you got your flannel and your hams and your arcade fire. Does that, that sound yeah. familiar, David? Yeah. Yeah. People start sticking their head out the window being like, what? I, I hear arcade fire. And then they just start Honey, walking. grab my flannel. <laughs> Give me my flask. What, what did you say? Oh, my best time to listen. Yeah. Uh, my best time to listen is, I said, sunny winter days. Oh, uh because it's cold which you know obviously and i but like that 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 feeling you have on a sunny when it's like snow on the ground and it's sunny outside where it's like this is it's cold and potentially miserable but at the same time really nice to be outside so that's yeah not the same answer we we don't i was going for i was it's hard to come up with continually best time to listen to these albums because a lot of these albums are like whenever you want uh seriously (laughs) anytime but yeah i feel like i I I feel like i'm i gotta be like a a sommelier or something like i have to like (laughs) you have a pair of the moment with the music yeah Yeah. i don't i don't often have that problem i like hajira don't listen to that sitting down unless you're me and weird you need to be moving for that album but I think with this, you can sit around with people that you just want to hang out with and have that playing in the background. And even though there's some thrashing, it still works. Yeah. As, it, as an undercurrent, I think it works. Uh, would you own this on vinyl? Hell yes, I would. I'm putting it on my Christmas list. And if I don't get it, I'm going to be a little pissed. Just saying. I, I'm going to leave this. Mm, do I want to talk about this now? Let's see. So here, here's my answer. It's complicated because okay. I, this is like a as we get, you know, we're only on our, what, eighth episode, we're, when we ask this question, and I, I'm trying to come up with more uh, specific answers of a yes, instead of a binary kind of thing. Um, but I think you, I think so. And here's why. Okay. It's exactly the type of music that I think brought back vinyl. I yep. think, it, I think it's exactly, it's, it's an album that needs space. It is very atmospheric. It's very, uh-huh. It's a collective experience. Like it feels like you need to hear this with other people, uh-huh. um, and I think it's got a wide range of sounds, low and quiet, you know, louds and quiets. You know, it's like a, it's, it's I have all these wonderful moments that I think giving it its space to, to have it. I'm sounding super pretentious at this point, but I think that like I feel like that that is like what vinyl is for, right? Okay. I think I think the guitar is needs to sound warmer, <laughs> and I feel uh-huh. like it would. Um, often it sounds richer when it's on vinyl i mean in my especially that rickenbacker that's in yeah, power out yeah. i feel like i feel like there. some of the low end gets lost uh yeah and i think that also it's a perfect length for a record yes <laughs> it is a perfect it is manageable it's not like i can't i didn't even look but I, you know like we said the last album is probably eight discs or something you could you could watch um you could watch a football game and listen to this album in one sitting like well i guess yeah um so i yes on that alone yes but then i know i looked it up i'm like all right it's newish to the revival of of vinyl and so quality is was is often questionable or hard to find right like sometimes from my experience that is like the sweet spot of like vinyl's dead but people still want it yeah so then 
putting out cheap um, pressings of it. So, and that's what I saw. And I actually did some reviews, looked at some reviews on, on what it's like on record. And a lot of people are like, this is straight trash. They don't like it. Um, oh, okay. They say it sounds terrible, but then people are like, well, it's not the pressing. Some people are saying it's the pressing. Some people are saying it's the mixing, you know, it's, you know, I, I don't know. But then I think there is the most recent version, the reissue from uh, that they did it through rough trade is actually much improved. Oh, but, okay. So your answer is maybe oh, yes. Ips, I I would I probably am going to buy it anyway. <laughs> I'll take that risk. So that the longest answer for the simplest the, of answers. Circuitous answer. Yes. Um, should we do MVP? Or should we should we take a break and come back for MVP? Yeah, let's take a break. Let's take a break. The people need a break. Welcome back to the show, folks. That was another clip from Arcade Fire's Wake Up. David, I seriously can't get enough of that song. I think it's brilliantly structured. Yeah, it's wonderful. I love it. I think they do a good job of, of structuring their songs in a way where it's not formulaic, but you can... But it has, a, it has like, that last minute is... The rush. A different tempo, yeah, like a coming together, everyone, all hands on deck kind of jumping around slapping each other <laughs> that's sometimes that's where the whole like oh this sounds like something maybe inspired by neil young part sometimes comes in as well because he he can do plaintive lyrics vocals and the sort of like trembling acoustic and then high kick it like two minutes into the same song high kick it into gear and you're thinking oh my god this is completely different so whatever the case that song just knocks my socks off every time we got to get to mvp david who's your mvp my auto MVP because I'm telling, making oh, it a yes. thing. Yes, I love that. Other than the obvious MVP, I said Canada. <laughs> uh, I, <laughs> I, think, I think the setting change for the Butlers plus the influence from Regine from Haiti add to their this whole nostalgic, sad <laughs> perspective of American suburban upbringing. Like I think that like <laughs> having to have it, it being a third, you know, uh, an outsider perspective on. I think it really helped. And I think also being in a setting that is uh, not an American indie band music, I don't know, environment, I think is, was it, that's incredibly helpful to their hmm. brand. Okay. That makes sense. How about, so it, it's how geography you? is the. Yes. <laughs> I'd buy that. I totally buy that. Uh, I'm going to go with the string section mm. led by Sarah Newfeld and or Newfield, I think. And Owen Pallet, it just it seems so much like all of my favorite moments on this album have strings either backing up those moments or propelling them forward. I'm thinking of songs like Crown of Love and Wake Up specifically, mm -hmm. and we'll talk a bit more about that just a little later. But I I just think that they without those strings, that back half of most of the songs we're talking about, or we just talked about a couple minutes ago, that back half wouldn't exist in the same way. So they are my those are my MVPs. Awesome. Um, Should we so, keep going? Yeah. Do you, do you have any unpopular opinions or hot takes? Okay. So here's the deal. I cheated a little bit, just a little bit. I don't. I don't have any hot takes. 
So instead, I just made up more favorite categories because I love this album so much. <laughs> so here we go. <laughs> uh, buckle up, boys and girls. You're basically, this is just like the vice presidential uh, debate where you're just like, I'm so glad you asked. But I'm going to... <laughs> I'm so glad you asked. My own question that I've set up. Yeah. So, uh, first category, and feel free to jump in if you also have responses to this, but I know you weren't prepared for it, so just you know, uh, control yourself. Favorite part of a song is the first category. My favorite part of a song uh, comes from Neighborhood Three, Power Out. Right. Mm -hmm. So listen to this little clip right here. I mean, there's just like, and you talked about this earlier. It's that moment where he's just about, he's snapped, right? It's like minute three, yeah. three fifteen, And there's this insistent, like locked in gritty guitar riff and this, just these precise, persistent cracks of the snare drum. It's, it's almost like they're talking to each other, like the guitar and the snare. And it's like, they're trying to figure something out between them. And it just, it curls my toes is what it does. It is just so <laughs> damn good that I made a whole category just for it. So that's, that's hot wonderful. take number one, favorite part of the song. Part two. Love it. Uh, what, what is my favorite hat tip to George Harrison? So if you listen to, uh, you can listen to the opening part, but listen to this section from, what's the, what's the French song, David? I can't pronounce it, but just, listen. what's the name of it? I don't know how I can pronounce it any better, but Una ne sans lumière. All right, so this is from around minute 218. All right, listen Got to this. It. So if you listen to those like, clean, those spare notes, it sounds very much like George Harrison. And you and I have both read an article. I think it came from Pitchfork. So this, this sounds like we're just one source ponies Shilling here. For but the, yeah. yeah, they don't pay us anything. But there's that quote that he has about playing the notes that nobody ever hears. And if you listen to that section, it's that slide That's guitar. Rolling Stone. Rolling Stone. Well, was that Rolling Stone? Okay, great. Yeah. We, we now have a second source, right? Mom and dad. <laughs> uh, at once, those notes are like, they're gorgeous and they're melodic. And those slide parts, they leave me all kind of fucked up. But they remind me of, this is where George Harrison comes in. Again, it reminds me of the opening of a song called Cheer Down. Have you heard that song before? Yes. Okay, so he, that's a song he co-wrote with Tom Petty. And for the folks at home, here's a little taste of, of Cheer Down. It's the very beginning of it. So those, those slides are, it's not the same guitar part, obviously, but it, it just, it feels very much like that, that Harrison warmth that comes from precision and plucking out just the right notes that you wouldn't necessarily expect to sound so comforting and warm, but they end up achieving something that most guitarists, they can't. So I, I like that, that sort of hat tip uh, indirectly or inadvertently to George Harrison. That's Last great. one, boldest moment of the album. All right. All right. You ready? Uh-huh. And I think, I think you might also have something to say about this, but the back half of, of Crown of Love. That's exactly what I wrote down. Yeah. Right? I, I, even, I even wrote down, <laughs> do, do I even like the first four minutes? <laughs> <laughs> or do I just like the song because of that last bit? <laughs> so that's, that is the first Arcade Fire song I've ever heard, by the way. Huh. 
I, was, I remember where I was. I was sitting next to Dan Quinn and Robbie Dwight, and I was in the chapel of the North American Martyrs at U of D Jesuit High School and Academy. And I, he played this part right here. which is like the very, like near the very end. And what I, what I think now is listening to that, it's like we shift from this rolling Tom Waits-esque dirge of a song, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's prettier than Tom Waits, but it has that sort of slowness to it. And then we go to those like four on the floor, four on the floor faux disco beat that doesn't sound contrived. It actually like works for some reason, right? But it sounds like release and relief to me. You know, it's like we get all this diffusion of tension that was happening at the beginning of the song and we didn't even know we needed that release. But the, the back half of that song is so bold because it could have sounded just completely ridiculous. But they pulled it off, you know? Yeah. And it's because yeah. of the strings. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? It's the hurdy-gurdy. Uh, um... But I mean, it's, it's also Owen Pallett and Sarah Neufeld in there though, right? Like they are, they're pushing that song near the end and that highness that release of tension is just it's so satisfying but it it, it almost didn't work i love <laughs> so, it i love yeah. i love the your hijacking of the category it's wonderful um, <laughs> yes you have any hot takes i i do um uh, besides the my you know quick lyrical hot take i had earlier on um it's it's a hot it's i guess i don't know whatever we call it a hot take but this is where it, maybe it's an unpopular opinion how about that okay uh, practically refused to listen to any of their other albums why and here is why it it i don't know if you have an album like this but i i feel like it's like a like a like a holden caulfield kind of moment where i want to preserve oh, that moment in time i had to bring him up okay this is all about preserving innocence and then coming you know learning that's impossible um <laughs> but i think that over and over and over again it's it's I, I don't know maybe because i loved this album so much when it came out i listened to it in my discman like over, on repeat through my wanderings of manhattan when i thought i was so cool for going to new york and Speaking discovering myself emo. right <laughs> exactly right so like it, it's like hitting that moment and then i got neon bible and i really loved it Ugh. and then i and then i kind of just stopped i didn't want i would i think there was like this fear going back to Caulfield, uh, uh, there was this fear that if I list, I'm going to eventually I'm going to get an album that's going to tarnish those earlier pure experiences with their music. Okay. Like I was, I was afraid for it be like this sounds like a band that's just going to sell out and it's going to ruin these earlier moments for me, and I don't want to do it. So I instead of yeah. like saying, which end up the suburbs one album of the year, right? But like yeah, that's I, a, I that's have a fine album, and I haven't listened really to it. I haven't, and I haven't listened to Reflect here. I just like I there's. I know that it, this is all silly, but I do, there's this, like, I just love that album for what it is. So do you have any bands where you just, like, have one album and then you just don't explore any of their other discography because you just like that album as what it is and what it represents to you at that time that you don't feel like you want or need anything else that they produce? David, I, I have an addictive personality. <laughs> You're talking to a person who four or five years ago got up at five o'clock in the morning and listened for the next 12 to 14 hours to every single album that neil young has ever released 
So no, I don't have bands <laughs> for whom, that I, bands that I like, who I who I will only listen to, or I'll only listen to one of their albums and stuff. That's never been the case for me. No, eventually I always end up listening to everything, even like the live bootleg, you know, Grateful Dead 1987 back in Jersey tour albums. Wow, okay. all of it. I, I feel because like, I'm I am obsessed. I'm gonna have to ask. I feel like our listeners like this is this is a common. This has to. It can't be just me. Like there has to be an album. No, I'm, I'm sure you're band. right. You only and then. But you know, like Braden does things like he'll watch the first. I liken it to TV. He'll a show that he really likes, but he'll he'll watch like the first two seasons, and he's like, "Meh, I'm good." Well, yeah. Or like <laughs> when the when the when the X Files is one of my all time favorite television shows and they kept coming back with all of this new sure. i refuse to admit that it like acknowledge its existence because first of all i heard it's not good but secondly like i just have i don't want that to taint my experience and time with that original series like no, if seinfeld said we're coming back i don't know if i'd want to watch it i think i'd want to but like, look no. at my 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 favorite artists are artists who continue to make I guess Radiohead would be a, maybe an artist that I would do that for. And I imagine maybe there are, are actually because sure. Radiohead has such a long career and they've got two different eras of the band, or I guess now three different eras of the band. There are probably a lot of our uh, fans out there who only listen to Radiohead from Pablo Honey and then like the Benz or, or like Pablo Honey, OK Computer. And then but here's Kid A in Rainbows and then, you know, like the, those eras. So I could see that, but I'm not one of those people. I think I understand why. Why is that? Because you, I guess if you, you could label that as you were late to the party, right? Like that Neil Young has been oh, out for sure. decades. So Forever. it was a matter of exploration rather than you're growing with that band and seeing how they're going. And you know what I mean? So I okay. think, I think so that's if, a that, okay, if, so. If, uh, if the debut album comes out and you listen to it and you love it and whatever, you know, then I think growing with the band can be harder. Maybe. Yes. No, that's good. So that would be someone like St. Vincent sure. or Vampire Weekend. Not the National. I was late to the party on the National. Uh, the War on Drugs. That mm. would be a band where I would be afraid because the first two albums, and you can speak to this as well, the first that's two brilliant. albums are immaculate. There's not a right. bad song on either. And the second album is maybe better than the first album. We listened to it in your, in your living room that one time and oh. straight through because it was so yeah. good. Yeah. Uh, so that could, I could see being afraid of whatever the third album was going to be. I could see that, but I still have to listen to it. Got it. I couldn't help it. You know, that was a, that was a fun tangent. Did, well, Hey, you know, since I'm telling you we're, we're on, we're, we're making good time here, Brandon. Oh, good. You know, because we've got, we've gotten through a lot of music this episode too, which I'm really, really happy about. We've got a lot of good clips for the listeners. Yeah. Um, All thanks to David's production, by the way. So, what well, would you would you listen? Would you purchase? Would you pass? Uh, yeah, yeah. I think you should have it on some. I, I mean, I even love. I went back and I actually went. I didn't talk about this, but I went back into my closet and I found my old. I still have some CDs because I still refuse to get rid of. I love physical media, uh, and this is when I was like I had a massive CD collection before I got into collecting records again. Um, but I have the. It's like a gate folded album. It's cardboard. It's not even. It doesn't even have like the nice. Looks to be in pretty nice. good condition. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's it's perfect. Um, the it's made of cardboard. It's not like a plastic CD case. <laughs> yeah. And here it kind of looks like you know what some of the it looks like uh, Monty Python kind of 
animation. Oh yeah, it does. You know? Like flying the present the presentation is so loving. It the if you take out the um, lyric sheet, it is it is a program from a funeral. A funeral, yeah. It has the same. Um, you could probably find pictures online, but it has it set up. It looks like you if you saw it from a distance, you could think that's exactly what it is. Um, I love it. Um, so what I buy in a vinyl too, yeah. Uh, but I do have this. It's wonderful. So oh, yeah, same same for you. Well, you know, here's the deal. This is this is an album that David Bowie heard, and he liked it so much that he invited them to play with him. <laughs> they he invited them out to dinner. I mean, was, I didn't talk about this earlier. He invited them out to dinner, and he's like, "Hey, I'm, I got to play a couple shows." And so he played like Fashion Rocks in 2005. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's where he's, they're singing Wake Up With Him. And they, he also sings uh, like Five Years or something like that. But he loved them so much that this is a band. It was one of, the la- one of the last shows he played live. They were the backing band. That's how much he liked this album. And he liked them so much that he almost stole one of their songs. We played Reflector earlier. And I didn't give this tidbit. They had to complete that song because he walked in one day and James Murphy of LCD Sound System, who was mm-hmm. producing that album, uh, he's like, oh, they, they got the song Reflector and they played it. And he goes, that's a perfect song. If you don't finish it soon, I'm going to steal it from you. And so instead of stealing it, they just ask him to sing the bridge. So that's how much this band is respected by people, <sighs> legends like David Bowie. So should you listen to it? Yes, you should listen to it all the time. Whenever you feel like it. It's an amazing <laughs> buy it in some form it's great i love it agreed you know what else is going to be great our next episode what do you want to do you want to share the i know, called I, an audible on this we had the list set in stone and it came down from the mountains well and... we kind of did <laughs> i mean <laughs> and then we're calling an audible on this um yeah i think... just i'm looking out my window david and it just looks so pretty out there and i keep thinking of the beach boys so I, I don't have the list in front of me anymore. But next week, folks, we're going to be focusing on the Beach Boys' seminal album, 1966, from 1966, number 61 on our list. Is that right, David? Yeah, number 61 of 1,001. Oh, I know. We're going to... <laughs> That's what you get here on Late to the Party, 953, 61. Uh, so yeah, we're just going to go back in time a little bit and deal with pet sounds. I'm excited about that. I like that album. It's going to be a fun, it's going to be an album, I think, like we haven't discussed before. So, no, you and I have uh, not broached the, that topic. Oh, no. I'm um, excited. Awesome. So, uh, should we take one? Do you want to take a break or do you want to just real quick? And, or no, you want to keep going? Just, yeah, let's just keep finish going. It. Okay. Yeah. Well, all right, people. So, there's <laughs> the part of the, the episode that I always stumble through because I probably should just write this scripted down because I say it every episode. <laughs> yes. Of, like us. <laughs> please like us <laughs> again if you're listening to it at this point you you do or you just like to torture yourself um either way we get whatever we get works we get the listens yeah um so you know contact us uh follow us on instagram at, at late to the party 1989 um get some good comments in there recently it's been nice some good feedback and i and some interesting feedback from my poll um of oh, yeah, the world lyrics. these lyrics <laughs> Is it, was it Andre 2000 or, or Flight of the Concord? It was 50-50. Was it close? It, no, it was like 50. Like it was almost exactly 50-50. For oh, every, wow. Every song I put up there, people would say both. Um, which I love it. Which is hilarious. So that justifies my uh, 
my analogy there. It does. It, it justifies um, your analysis. I agree. <laughs> uh, yeah. And if you're feeling, if you're feeling particularly loving, go ahead and rate us on Apple podcasts, leave us a review. If you, if you're so inclined, as always on anchor, you can leave us a voicemail and, and tell us about our analysis. Tell us about ourselves, you know, if, if we stepped out of line. Right, David? Please, yeah, no, give us, especially if you're a fan, like a diehard Swifty or something, like, please, like, give get us, at us the business. Yeah, we love it. Uh, we can engage on a one, it's a, it'll be a one-way fight, right? You can yell at us and we can <laughs> and we'll you back. And... <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Oh, I think we're done here, huh? I think so, too. Uh, thanks for, for listening to us. Good night, guys. Oh, it's all right.